drag people in here, whatever you need to do. Let's fill this place up. Good. All right. Can you believe summer is basically over? Basically over. Wow. Like two days ago, somebody flipped a switch. One of those angelic beings flipped a switch or something. I don't know. And uh, yeah, our, we actually turned our, our air conditioner to heat last night. Hey, buddy. <laughs> Good. All right, we got uh, a lot to do in a short time. So are you, put your seatbelts on, get ready. Are you ready? Yeah, okay. So today we are going to, uh, we're going to hear a message that not many want to hear and not many want to preach. If you've, if you've been listening to, um, you know, preachers this week on YouTube, I bet you you didn't hear any of them preach this message. Um, but it is Bible, it is truth, and it is vital to what the gospel is in our lives. And it is the power of weakness. The power of weakness. The Bible never tries to hide the frailties of its heroes. One of the things I love about this book is that it, it doesn't try to paint uh, a, a rosier picture than, than reality, but, but uh, it's just honest and true about the, the frailties of its heroes. The very first heroes that we meet in the Bible... Uh, we barely think of as heroes because before we get more than a chapter into their story, we see their weakness displayed for all the world to see for all the rest of history, right? And, uh, uh, and, and they're, they're really more defined in our minds by their weakness than by the fact that they were the very first and best of the human race that were created. And that uh, when God created them, he said they were very good. In fact, he created man. And then he said, hmm, it's good. I can do better. And he created woman, right? Right? Um, so, so they were very good. And they were partners with God in creation as Adam named all the creatures, and, uh, and, and participated with God in this creativity. The Bible doesn't hide their failure. In fact, the Bible doesn't even hide the fact that they tried to hide their failure. Right? Abraham tried to short-circuit and shortcut God's promise for a child with Sarah and also lied about who his wife was, not once, but twice. Isaac was a father who showed incredible partiality to one of his sons, and also lied about who his wife was, like his father did. Jacob was a deceiver and a schemer, and his kids were a mess. 
Moses was a murderer, needed a speech therapist, and his anger issues kept him from seeing the promised land. King Saul was a train wreck. King David was an adulterer and a murderer. And the judges and kings throughout Israel's history rebelled against God and showed major character flaws. And Jesus' own apostles argued regularly who of them was better than the others. They failed to have faith when it counted, and they abandoned Jesus at the cross. And we might look at this list of the, the top, however many that is, of, the, of the, the heroes of Scripture and say, wow, if these heroes are such a mess, what hope is there for me? But that is just the point that the Bible is making. If they're a mess and God used them, then there is hope for me, right? That is the gospel. That there is hope for the broken. There is hope for those who are imperfect. There is hope for those who fail on a regular basis. The key for these people was not in their perfection. It was not in their ability to somehow be equal to the task at hand, but it was in their ability to realize they couldn't do it without God. And today, we like to hear messages of success. And as North Americans, we, we love our Tony Robbins teachers, right? The, the people that are going to tell you, you know, how powerful you are. And you, just, you just believe in yourself and you can do anything. We like those messages. I've heard people say that if we talk too much about weakness in the church, it won't be a very popular message and people will walk away. They don't want to hear about weakness. My concern isn't what people want to hear. It's what is the gospel? What is the truth? What is it we were meant to proclaim? The Apostle Paul found the same tension in his ministry 2,000 years ago. Let's, let's listen to the opening chapter of his letter to the church in Corinth, his first letter to the church in Corinth. In uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross, we're already in trouble. Because the cross was not an image or a symbol of glory and power. It was a symbol of defeat and death. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 20 where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached 
to save those who believe. Listen to this. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. The Jews were looking for a king that would show himself powerful, kick the Italians out of Palestine, and make the Jewish kingdom powerful once again. The Greeks were looking for someone who had the ability just with a few words to blow your mind. And here comes the teacher and the king, and he dies on a cross. And Paul says, that's what we're going to proclaim. Paul goes on a couple verses later. Brothers and sisters, think what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him you are in Christ Jesus. In other words, not because of anything we've done. Not because of anything we are. He has become for us wisdom from God. Uh, therefore, as, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And chapter 2, verse 1. Just a little, little longer. It's a lot of scripture here, but just hang with me. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, Paul says, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you with weakness, with fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. What we have to offer the world, and I'll leave this up for, for a couple minutes, what we have to offer the world is not that we are powerful. It's not that we are smarter than everyone else. It's not even that we are morally superior to anyone else. We are a bunch of scoundrels and goofballs that thankfully Jesus has rescued from our own mess and brought us into His love and into His family. It is nothing that we have earned. None of us has arrived at completion or perfection, nor will we until we see Jesus face to face. Thankfully, He is changing us and transforming us 
as we cooperate with him, but we are all still in process. Folks, we have a tendency to come to church, look around at the other people in the room, and think that others are always positive because they are when they're here. They're always smiling, and they always do the right thing, and they never struggle with temptation, and they never fail, and they're always strong and victorious. Because we believe that everyone else's reality is like that and not ours, we just decide we're going to fake it till we make it. We're going to paste on a smile, pretend that we're strong and powerful, and that's all we've got. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Right? Here's what Paul wrote later in this, in his second letter to the church in Corinth. Here's what he wrote. Chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. There, oh, I think I have it. Part of it anyways. Um, you, can, you can get it from me later. Therefore, in order to keep me... So Paul, Paul in this chapter, it's 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians, he's talking about... He doesn't even want to name himself. He's talking about somebody who had powerful visions of heaven. But when he says somebody, he's talking about himself. And we figure that out as we, as we go along. But Paul in his humility says somebody had these had these visions. And then in verse 7, he says, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, people have debated what that is about, what that is. I've heard some people say, see, proof that Paul was actually married. Just, just joking, just joking. Oh, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of debate on what that's about, but, but it doesn't matter. We don't, he doesn't tell us, and therefore we don't need to know. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, says Paul, so that was a quote, that was God speaking to him. My, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power, so that so, everybody say, so that. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
Now, I've heard this often misquoted. When I'm weak, he is strong. Well, that's not what it says. I mean, it's true, but it's not what it says. Because when we say, when I'm weak, then he is strong, what we're saying is, you know, in, those, in, those, in my rough day, when, when, I, when I'm having a bad day, well, then God makes up the difference. That's not what this is saying. When I am weak, when I, when I understand, admit, confess, and aware of my own weakness, and I step out of the way, and I let Jesus come and do what only Jesus can do, that's when I have strength. Right? How often do you hear someone say, man, you wouldn't believe how bad I blew it yesterday. Right? Thank God for His grace. We're not too quick to say those kind of things, are we? Or, man, I'm just getting pummeled by the enemy today, but God is my strength. Or when did you ask someone how their day is going and they said, wow, I, I'm really struggling with my thought life today, but I'm hanging on to Jesus. Paul says that he will boast all the more gladly about his weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on him. We are candidates for Christ's power when we confess our weakness. This is the gospel, folks. We can't do it. We are not good enough. We are not smart enough. We are not brave enough. We're not strong enough to live without sin or to overcome our own flesh, let alone our satanic enemy. We need a Savior, and Jesus came to save us. That's the gospel. One of the top reasons I think that people reject the gospel is they don't want to admit that they're not strong enough. Don't want to admit that they need a Savior. We just need to look around at the brokenness in our society and it tells us that none of us is strong enough to hold our lives together. We need Jesus and as long as we keep trying to prop up an illusion of strength, we actually block our access to Christ's power. Earlier in the same letter, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7-10, he says this, But we have this treasure... And he's talking about the glory of God. We have this treasure in jars of clay. The glory of God lives on the inside of you. But the rest of you is a jar of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show 
that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us, Paul says. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. It's in the crushing, folks. It's not on the mountaintop. It's in the crushing where the life of Jesus is released in your life. Just this week, me, your pastor, I've been short with a couple people. I snapped back at Pam over nothing because I was having a rough day. I doubted myself as a leader at times. I let stress and fear press down on me and needed to be reminded of my calling and purpose in God. And that's just for starters. And you might say, well, you're not a very strong pastor. You're right. Yeah. And that's the point. Was there some good stuff that I could boast about today? Maybe. But that was pretty much all Jesus anyways. And that's the point. We're about to celebrate communion together. One of the beautiful aspects of the cross and the community that we find at this table is that the one thing we truly have in common is our need for Jesus. Our need for forgiveness, our need for healing, our need for deliverance, our need for strength and victory that we don't have within ourselves. So how do we access that? Through the power of weakness. Through the power of confession. Not just confession to God either. In the, in the Protestant Reformation, we recognized some problems with the, with the activity of, of confessing to a priest, going to a priest to gain absolution and forgiveness. And rightfully declared that Jesus is the one and one true mediator, right? But at the same time, we also threw out the baby with the bathwater because there is power in confessing to one another. James 5.16 says, Therefore, Confess your sins to each other 
and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And this is not just talking about physical healing. In fact, the New Testament never divides out and delineates between physical and spiritual healing. They are a package deal. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There is healing in bringing our sins and our weaknesses and our struggles into the light of community. Anything that is secret holds power over you. The devil loves the dark and shadows and secret. And anything that is secret holds power over you. But bringing it into the light breaks its power. That doesn't mean that you need to tell everyone everything. Right? That, that would be a bad idea. But we all need someone that we can tell anything to. I believe that's what this whole Christian community thing is meant to be about. We're never meant to do it alone. Someone who is our safe place and who can pray with us and for us and where we can find healing and wholeness in community. Where our weakness can find the power of Christ. I have a couple people in my life that I connect with regularly, whom I trust and have given permission to ask me anything and to whom I can tell anything without judgment. And they can challenge me when I'm being stupid. I need this. I believe we all need this to live healthy, and to regularly access the healing of Jesus in our lives, confessing our weaknesses to one another and finding his strength. The power of weakness is that when we let go of our illusion of our own strength, we can receive the strength that overcomes everything. And ask those who are serving communion to get ready to do that. Ask uh, Pastor Graham to come on up. How y'all doing? We're going into. Uh, we're going into a new ministry season. I'm excited about, about launch Sunday next week. I know there's still lots of people grabbing the last, you know, holiday weekend and, and they're away traveling and seeing family and all kinds of stuff. Um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm hoping and looking forward to all of us kind of being back next week and, and uh, re-engaging and uh, going into a new ministry season this, this fall. And, uh, and I know, folks, if we try to build this on what you and I can do, what you and I can organize, what you and I can accomplish, the, the bright plans we think we have, we are going to crash and burn. But if we come into this ministry season and say, God, we got some plans, but we lay them on the altar. We ask you to come and burn up whatever's garbage, because some of it probably is, and ignite into a flame what is of you and do something that is far beyond what we can do in our wisdom or strength. And I hope you're with me on that. I think you are. Excited about what we, what we have in store for us. And so today, right now, as we prepare our hearts for a ministry season, we come to the table. We come together, but we also come personally. We say, Jesus, here I am in my weakness. Come and heal me. Come and meet me in this place. Come and be the strength that I don't have. You've given me everything I need. He's my sufficiency. Amen. Amen. What up, guys?